0: Welcome to the Runners Roundtable podcast. My name is Stephanie Diaz, and in Season 2 of the Runners Roundtable, I'll be talking to different female run coaches about their running stories and coaching philosophies. In this episode, I'm talking to Coach Jennifer Giles about how she marries sports nutrition with run coaching and the importance of education in the coach-athlete relationship. Enjoy our conversation, and thanks for listening. Welcome everyone to the Runners Roundtable, where I am talking to different female run coaches this season. And today I'm speaking to Jennifer Giles. I feel like you are a woman of many hats and you do a lot. So I don't even think an introduction on everything you do, I don't even think I can do it justice because you do a lot. So, how about you tell us? I know you are a multi-hyphenated athlete, but let's go back and have you tell us your running story.
1: Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I'm just so excited to chat with you about my favorite topic, running. (laughs) (laughs) But um, but yeah, I'll just quickly give you a synopsis of my story. I'll try to make a very long, long story. shorter and more easily digestible. But, um, I honestly hated running, (laughs) especially as a youth athlete. I did some team sports like swimming and softball and, you know, everyone tried soccer and basketball and that kind of stuff. So, and I liked it. I was never really good or great at anything. I was decent, but not great. So, um, and I really should have been voted, voted least likely to run ever because I, (laughs) I avoided it at all costs. I hated it. It didn't make me feel good. I got out of breath. It hurt. (laughs) So I just hated it. But fast forward to college where I just needed to to be active. I needed to lose a little bit of that freshman 15. And uh, I wasn't really feeling great. So I was like, you know what, Jen, we got to start running. Everybody else runs. Just grab a pair of shoes and, and start running. I don't know what made me say that to myself, but I did. So I was on vacation with my family, and I bought a pair of running shoes, and I just started running. And honestly, the first time I went out, and I remember it, and I we we go back to the same vacation place every year, and I run the same loop, and I just I just relived the whole memory because it really is kind of like a miracle that this even happened. But I went out to run, and I made it probably three-fourths of a mile, and I pulled a muscle in my back.
0: <laughs> I, I
1: know. It was what? actually pretty young at the time too. I was 19. So you shouldn't pull a muscle in your back after running three quarters of a mile and you're 19. So that shows you how um, unfit I was. And, um, for whatever reason, I went out the next day and I ran a little bit more and then the next day, a little bit more, and it just kind of snowballed into this joy of, of, I don't know where I found it, but I found that runner's high somewhere between pulling my muscle in my back and increasing my mileage And, you know, I got to two or three miles and I just held it there for, you know, a number of months, maybe close to a year and nothing more than that ever crossed my mind. Other than that, I love to get outside and run and I love to run two to three miles. It was easy. It was great. I lost a little bit of weight. I felt good. But during that, I I was talking to some other people and I realized that there's actually races you can run. And I thought maybe I should try that. So, and I thought maybe I could run a little bit faster if I ate a little bit better. So I just started diving into all this, you know, nutrition for runners information and runners world magazine and all these articles. And I just started to become obsessed with the connection between nutrition and running. So I would clean that up. And then I got into running some 5Ks and 10Ks, did a couple of half marathons. And then one day, one of my friends actually said, we should run a marathon. I thought, I can never run a marathon. There's no way I'm running 26 miles. That's crazy. And she explained, you don't have to run 26 miles before you run 26 miles. And I thought, oh my God, there's like a science to this? <laughs> so, seriously, that, that's how it happened. It's so it's so crazy. But And I think a lot of runners fall into that too. They just kind of realize oh really it's not that hard because it really isn't I mean it's it's hard in terms of you have to be consistent and you have to put the work in but overall if you put the work in it's really not that hard that's the secret to running Um. so long story short I ended up running you know many marathons and um, this was throughout my whole 20s and I did start to get a couple of injuries, like a knee injury here, a pain there just from running too much. To be honest, I didn't know how to balance it. And so I started going back to what I know, which is swimming. So I was like, maybe I should mix in some swimming. And And then one day it occurred to me, maybe I should buy a bike and, and do a triathlon. One of my friends was doing a do those mini triathlons every Tuesday night through the summer. So boy, I just randomly signed up for one of those. And then that snowballed into being a triathlete. Um, and it's really 32 years later now that I kind of bought those, that I did buy those running shoes and everything else kind of just happened from there. In the middle of that somewhere, I decided I wanted to do this as a profession. Cause I, I just thought like, if I change the trajectory of my life from pair from buying that first pair of running shoes, and it really did change my life. So many other people can do this too. So I thought I just wanted to help people find the joy in running that I found. And that's really my story.
0: I love all of that because it's just so funny. Like I feel like you've hit so many elements of a lot of people's running stories of, I hated running, never thought I would be a runner never thought I would even run marathons and I laugh because I think of myself when it's very similarly I think I played like one year of soccer when I was in middle school and looking back I'm like man I wish I would have stuck with it because I did have a lot of fun playing with my friends (laughs) like not so much the running piece and just Thinking back to when I was younger, running was something I did when I was like, oh, I need to work out or, you know, mm-hmm. break a sweat. So let me run. There was never that joy or that love for running. It was just something I did because I needed to sweat or I needed to move my body. And I think a lot of people, that's their experience with running. So I truly believe that like running is one of those sports that when you're ready to find it, it finds you. Yeah. Good and yeah. Yeah. And it was like, so for me, it was, so I played soccer and then I went to high school and I was like, I never want to do PE again. I don't want to run. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to do any of that stuff. So I studied really hard so that I could be in the gifted and honors for like all the, the, the classes right. that you could take so that you didn't have to take PE. My, <laughs> my schedule was so full and yeah. it wasn't until after I had kids. And a lot of people know this story. It wasn't until after I had kids that I was like, oh, wait. I want to model for them healthy, active womanhood because I have daughters. It was very important for me to model for them what it meant to be a woman who loves her body, who can appreciate what her body can do and who enjoys moving her body, who's just active for the sake of being active, not active because I want to look a certain way or because I want to weigh a certain thing or Or I don't know if people still do this. I'm going to assume yes, but it's like, you know, when you're like, oh, I have this event or I have my wedding and all of a sudden I have, because I have the wedding, I really need to go hard with the working out. It's like, no, I just want to be like that all the time. Have it be more of a lifestyle instead of something with an expiration date and So then that's what I thought to do. I'm like running. Yeah, I can totally do that. I can put my kids in a stroller and then I can head out. Like that running was just the easiest thing. At that point, I was a stay-at-home mom and I had a weird schedule because my children had weird napping schedules and it was really easy to put them in a stroller. They would get distracted by being outside and then I could get my workout, my run in. But similar to you, it's like once I started, it snowballed. into something else. And I even love the way you're like, Oh, there's a science to this, because (laughs) (laughs) because I had a, a similar experience with the marathon, like, and I remember in those early that like, first year to two years where I was running consistently, people would say, Oh, you're a runner, when are you going to do the marathon? And I remember thinking, why do we have to assume all runners are going to do marathons? Like, can't I just run and like be okay with where I'm at? And my my sassy response was always, I don't like to drive 26.2 miles. Why would I want my body to do 26.2 miles? So I appreciate that too, because it's one of those things where, it is a great reminder that what you think you can't do, you mm. actually can Once you understand how it's done, right? So like the marathon was one of those things where it's like, I don't want to do it. But when you break the marathon apart to run by run, not so much like month by month or week by week, but if you just take it apart as run by run, it can be done. But when you're looking at, oh, I have to go from zero to 26.2 miles in one day, Yeah, That is really intimidating. Even though the reality is, is like, no, you're actually going to go, you know, zero to three or five, and you're going to build upon that each week. And as you build, so does your confidence in your ability to do the distance. So I love all of that because it's, it's always so important for me to remind people, especially people that are listening to this, that not everyone starts off as a runner and not everyone loves it. Like, I had years of interacting with running and not caring for it before I interacted with running in the way that I really cared about it. So know that like, if you're listening to this and you're like, kind of want to do it, kind of don't want to do it, but yes, but no. Like, it's okay. It's okay to not love it. And it's okay to maybe see that everyone else is doing it. And it's not for you right now. Like, I just want people to know that it's totally okay. because You're definitely listening to two people that spent a good chunk of their lives thinking, ah, this isn't for me. I don't like it. um, And then discovering how to like it. So yeah. as you reflect back on all your years of being a runner, I know you said it snowballed, but how did you fall in love with the sport? Like aside from getting the shoes and putting in the work, like it's never, I feel like it's never just, put on the shoes and go. And like, you'll fall in love with it. Like there's actually work that kind of goes into it. So I'm curious yeah. how you got to that point of finding the joy and running, because I have a lot of people who want to start running, but mm. they can't get past how physically hard it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question because, and I don't know if I have a solid answer for it, But what I do remember from the very beginning is that it made me feel good. So I think a lot of motivation comes down to we do things that make us feel good, right? So we sit on the couch and watch Netflix because it kind of feels good to chill out and watch Netflix, right? Um, But when it comes to running, it definitely hurts a little bit when you're out of shape getting there. I find over the years of even my own experience and coaching other runners that it's like that four mile mark seems to be, and I don't know if there's science to this, this, this is just my experience, but once you get to four miles, you kind of get to this point where your fitness level is high enough for you to start enjoying it. You know, it, you know, it. once you're starting it, and I also have four children. So I've experienced this coming back from four pregnancies too. It's not fun getting into shape, but once you're there, something clicks and you're, you say to you literally say to yourself, ah, oh, this feels good. Like I can do this. It, I feel powerful. I feel strong. I feel like a mental clarity that I didn't have when I'm just starting. And if you can just push through that, that, you know, kind of rockyness, getting back into shape, into running shape, then you feel it. And it's just kind of this feeling it's hard to explain, but most runners know that when they get there, they're like, aha, uh-huh. You know, and just to your point where you're talking about before about the marathon distance, marathon sounds really overwhelming. In fact, right now it sounds overwhelming to me because I'm not prepared to, I'm not in marathon shape right now, right? But if I was to take six months and get there, I would feel that confidence and know I was ready to run a marathon. So there's different cycles of your life. I've run so many marathons, but it still sounds overwhelming to me until you take the time and put the training in and then you're ready. So there, it's always like this up and down training cycle that you go in, but when, when it clicks, it clicks and you know, it, when you're there, you know, it, that's the best way to explain it.
0: Yeah. And that makes me think of my run this morning, uh, because it was a four mile run. And it was that four, once I reached four miles, I'm like, wait, I could keep going, but I'm Mm -hmm. done, but like I could keep going. And I think that's, that's, So I have people, when they come to talk to me, it's, they say, okay, it's really hard or I can't breathe or, um, hurts it hurts. (laughs) And I always try to tell people, I'm like, you you just gotta, the brain is going to chatter. The brain Mm -hmm. is going to say a lot. It's going to, especially if you're doing something new, like running, the brain is going to have a lot to say and either you feed the brain and the negativity continues, or you just say, okay, I accept that this is hard right now, or I accept that this sucks right now, because it is true what you're saying, where it's like, the longer you go, whether it be in a run or in a training, the more comfortable you get with the demand of it. And it's not to say that every run is going to feel like that because there are definitely runs that are like, I mean, my four mile run on Tuesday, I was like, thank goodness it's done. Like we're done. Whereas today I was like, Oh, I could have kept on going. Yeah. But I think that's like the beautiful part of running too, where it's like, it's almost like a gamble. Like you don't know what you're going to get when you get into the run. Yeah. But even though Tuesday's run and today's run felt different when I finished, I was really proud of myself. And I think it's convincing people or getting them to even try, right? Like you said, like, yeah, you have to go through the rocky parts mm-hmm. to get to that part of, okay, this doesn't, yes, it was rocky, but it's not always going to be rocky or yes, it was rocky, but it's, it's just your body kind of waking up to the task of running. Yeah. You mentioned something that I love and I I would like you to go a little bit deeper on. So when you talk about marathon shape, and I, I say this because I talk about this too with people, what do you mean by marathon shape? Because I think that's such an important concept for runners mm-hmm. to understand, especially anyone that's listening to this. That's like maybe marathon shape is a new idea for them. What does that mean for you?
1: Yeah. So that means really preparing. So, and this can be uh, extrapolated to any distance. So you could be in 5k shape. You could be in 10k shape. There's just different strategies for different distances But marathon shape is really more an endurance base. So, and you have to baby step your way up there too. You can't just go out and run 20 miles one day and say, I'm in marathon shape. It really has to, you have to, like you said, you have to put the demand on your body and you have to go through those uncomfortable portions of building distance and it's going to start four miles and, you know, six miles, eight, 10, however you build it over, you know, four, six, eight month period of time, depending on the athlete. And once you get there, you've, you physically change. You have more mitochondria, your muscle strength is higher. Your cardiovascular endurance is higher. So once you're putting in the work, your body changes, it literally changes on a cellular level. And then you're ready to actually race because you've put in the distance, you've put in the speed work, you've done hill repeats, you've had rest in, inter- you know, rest weeks where you, you know, you decrease your training a little bit so that you can build mitochondria on strength and all that kind of stuff. So once you're there, you are actually, you just train, literally trained your body to be able to run 26 miles and run it well, hopefully too.
0: Yeah, so I think that's something that, and I think of myself. So whenever I say runners, I, you know, I'm I'm including myself. I say this. I'm like that's the little asterisk to any state to anything that I say. Runners do this, or we runners. I'm including myself in that because I think that was part of, for me, I didn't understand that right when I did my first marathon training cycle, which I trained myself. I got the Hansen's marathon method. Like it was that I, there was something online. Like I did like a, a different yeah. combination of race plans for that. And I just saw the plan and I thought, how the heck is my body going to physically do this? Like I did not, I could not grasp that. Oh wait, there's actual cellular changes. There's mental changes. There's emotional changes that happen along the way it's not just that my body can physically do it but there's so much at play that's going to help me Mm -hmm. learn how to do that and I would say that first marathon cycle was uh getting to know myself like myself my body (laughs) in Mm -hmm. a way that I had never known myself and that I didn't anticipate running would Help me get that intimate with my body and my processes. Yeah. And I think that's something that we don't think about. Or I feel like a lot of people just don't think about. They think, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, sign up for the race and then do the plan and then do the distance. And you don't really grasp how life-changing it is, whether, yeah. you know, to your point, whether it's a 5K or a 10K, like how much of a difference it's going to make in your life when you commit to those changes, when you, like you said, it's the secret to running is if you put the work in, it's not really that hard, right? Like it's just putting
1: put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> but-
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So I love all of that because I think it's a really important reminder for people that when you're training, it's, you're not just training your body to physically run, you're training your body to adapt yeah. to the demands of the increased running on it
1: for sure yeah and i love that you said it changes us um psychologically too because it does uh, we're obviously experiencing physical changes but to go out there and push from 10 miles to 12 miles that's a big push and while your body is capable of it your mind doesn't necessarily think it's capable of it unless you push it past that uncomfortable zone and that's kind of like stepping out of your comfort zone and and that can be you know that can uh, overflow into other areas of your life too so i and i truly remember crossing the finish line of my very first marathon because when you do your first one you don't even know how it's going to go you don't know if you're going to finish <laughs> you don't know if you're going to pass out you're like you just don't know but when i crossed that finish line i said to myself like wow if i can do that i wonder what else i can do mm-hmm. and it did and i was so young i was like 22 or 23 so i thought wow like what a confidence boost because it did. it made me do other things like you know, apply to a job I didn't really think I was qualified for, or um, whatever else other challenges that I took on at that age. but it was the it was the deciding factor for a lot of decisions after that.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. I laugh when I think of, um, and I've told this story before, but I think you'll appreciate it that for me, when I think of the marathon, and I think of it, the my very first marathon. Wow, like I mean, the memories can come back yeah. so vividly when you yeah. think of that first experience. The and, memories, yeah. oh yeah, it's so <laughs> great. And I remember when I crossed the finish line, I was like, "Oh, that was like being pregnant and giving birth." And yeah. the way, yeah. <laughs> like, the way I had described it was, your training is your pregnancy that's like the 9 months of pregnancy there's ups there's downs you feel great mm-hmm. there's weeks where you feel like crap like there's just there's just a lot of emotions that go yeah. in a marathon training cycle yeah. the race itself was labor because mm-hmm. it was painful and <laughs> there were moments where Especially I was idiot. like yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are moments where I'm like, how am I going to keep doing this? Like how, like, even when you train for it, like you said, your first one, you really just don't know. So for me, the marathon running, the marathon itself was like labor where it's like, okay, I'm doing this really hard thing. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, this is kind of scary, kind of exciting, kind of like, I don't know, so many emotions at once. And then when I finished and they gave me the medal, that was the same as having the baby in my hands for the first time where I was like, Oh, wow. Like there was like this disconnect of, I have this metal that says I did something, mm-hmm. but my brain has not caught up to process that I actually did it. Right. Yeah. Like, so for me, it's, I think of that, like a marathon is like, okay, if you are a birthing human, you yeah. can kind of imagine it emotionally like that. And after that marathon, every subsequent marathon that I've done, it's a similar experience, but a little bit different in that I don't doubt that I'll be able to finish. Mm -hmm. What I doubt or what I question or what I worry about is the negotiation I'm going to have to do with my thoughts to get me there. I don't doubt physically that I can do it. Training has told me that I can do it. Consistency in showing up has told me that I can do it. But the state of my mind on race day and in response to the things that happen during a race, that's where I'm like, I don't know what demons I'm going to battle out there. Hopefully they're quiet or not too much (laughs) because it's like, And you know, and I try to tell people this, where it's like control what you can control and let go of what you cannot, right? So like, I did the Chicago Marathon last year, twenty two years ago. Uh, I can say two years ago, twenty (laughs) twenty one Chicago Marathon. Great training cycle. I felt really confident in myself going in, and the day of the race, it was just hot for me. It was hot and it was humid, and I, you know, very quickly. I'm probably within the first five miles. For me, it's always the first five miles are very telling as to the experience I'll have on a marathon. And in those first five miles, I was like, today's not my day. Like, it's not my day. I don't feel good in this weather. I feel gross. It's just a lot. Weather, like weather for me, I've learned this in all my years of running at this point is that weather is just, that is a issue that I will never be able to resolve. If it's hot... Yeah, For me, it's just not some people can thrive. Some people can figure out how to thrive in the weather. I'm not one of those people. I'm someone that if it's like, if I go outside, <laughs> my husband, it's like this week, there was a day when he was like, Oh, it's cooler outside. I'm like, no, it was still humid. Like there, no, <laughs> like, I don't care. Like, unless it's freezing, I'm not happy. So I think that that's so important what you bring up because it's our minds do play such a big role in how we show up, in how we feel, in how capable we think we are. So Mm -hmm. before I ask the question that I want to ask, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. And I'm going to ask, how did you get into run coaching?
1: Oh, that is a good question. Ironically, I went into sports nutrition first. I as a runner said you know I just want to be a sports nutritionist because I want to a find out everything I could possibly know about sports nutrition for my own well-being but also so I can help other athletes do the same thing and while I was in school getting my masters in sports nutrition I I was also getting a masters in physiology at the same time so I was doing like this dual program and all my friends kept asking me to help them with their run plans. Like you just ran a marathon. Can you help me do this? You've run all these races. Can you help me? And, and so I kind of just did cause I loved it. Right. And then it dawned on me that I could probably do this, you know, professionally. And um, so that's really how it happened. It was kind of by accident to be honest. And it was just because I loved doing it. And I thought I could really just help more people do it, but it also really added to my sports nutrition business. Cause I feel like, if you work with a coach that has a sports nutrition background, now you're kind of getting two for one. And I think your training, I know your training can just benefit so much by having that balance of nutrition support and a nutrition strategy and a run strategy because they go hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other, in my opinion.
0: Oh, yeah. Listen, listen, I'll... <laughs> And I remember again, like going back to my first marathon, obviously it's the first one. So like your body's going to change a lot. And that's something I try to tell people too, you know, like when you're just getting into the sport, you're going to see a lot of changes. You're going to see changes physically. You're going to see changes in your time. The longer you're in the sport, the less you're going to see those changes. And the more you're going to have to tweak of everything else, right? Like everything else, how I ate, 10 years ago, <laughs> it's very different uh, than how I need to fuel myself now, which is
1: keeps changing. <laughs>
0: oh, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I mean, it's exciting, but it's frustrating. Yeah, but I yeah. think back to like that first marathon that I did. And I remember all I ate for lunch during that marathon training cycle was grilled chicken, quinoa, mm-hmm. and an avocado. Like Boy. that <laughs> was it. <laughs> And I remember after I did the marathon, I had some friends comment. They're like, wow, you looked great or you look too skinny. And I'm like, wait, I don't understand what you're telling me. And it just goes like I share that because I can eat that stuff now. I don't now because I'm a vegetarian, but my body will not respond the same way that it did then. So Mm -hmm. I like that you bring the sports nutrition and the run coaching together because the two elements that are so important with that are the support and the strategy, right? Like, and it really does how you fuel yourself does impact you greatly for how you feel on the run
1: for sure. And everyone's so different. Like you said, like everyone just has, a <laughs> you're a vegetarian. Some people aren't like, and when you're have so, so many individual issues, so maybe you have allergies or maybe you're gluten intolerant or whatever it is like those things need to be addressed in order for you to be the best runner you can be, because you have to mesh those two together. When you're running, you're literally burning fuel in order to be capable of running. So if your fuel is not the proper fuel for your body, then it's going to affect your running negatively. Whereas if it is the proper fuel for your body, it's going to catapult you to the next level. And I think most people don't realize that your butt, like we said before, your body changes. So I was working with an athlete yesterday, for example, and she was saying like, I've been eating this way for 20 years and it's just not working anymore. And I was thinking like, yes, I know. Like that was 20 years ago. So many things have changed physiologically in your body that should not work for you anymore. So we need to change it. And I think the more and more people understand that the healthier they'll, they will be first of all. And when you're healthier, you can be a better runner. You can't be a great runner if we're not optimally healthy.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something really hard to to grasp. Again, kind of going back to and i I keep going back to the marathon because that's just such a big distance. There's there's like this almost this element um of awe ah around the marathon, right? Because yeah. I think of it too in terms of you know speaking of nutrition and how you're fueling yourself, there is. When you, how am I trying to phrase this? People come and they say, I want to run a marathon, right? And they think all I need is a training plan and I can do it. (laughs) I can do it. And it's like, no, actually, when you run a marathon and this is with all distances, but particularly with marathons, when you run a marathon, it truly is a life overhaul. Like everything Mm -hmm. in your life. Is going to change, and even for myself, I had this this realization. And you know, last the twenty twenty one Chicago Marathon for me, that was my ninth marathon. And what I did, it was a great training cycle, but after the long runs, I was beat like uh-huh. beat. I would come home and felt like I could not function. Yeah. And afterwards, I'm like. That's not normal. So, you know, I did the, I did the, I got my blood work checked out and it's like, everything's fine. And then I had just this aha moment of, Hey Steph, it's your nutrition. Like Mm -hmm. it's your nutrition, this whole, and I've implemented since on my long runs of, you know, something as simple as I'm gonna take my gel every 30 minutes, every 30 minutes. Oh my gosh the difference that that has made in terms of how I feel now, don't get me wrong. On Saturdays, I still come home to take a nap because I love a nap, like nap.
1: That's good recovery. That's smart.
0: But it's like one of those things where I'll come home, I'll take an hour long nap, and then I'm good to go. Whereas Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of that Chicago buildup. And I remember getting so frustrated before I had that aha moment, getting so frustrated of, man, why do I feel this way? Why is it that this 20 mile run, why is it wiping me so far out? And it's like, Oh yeah. Hey stuff. Like, remember that you didn't fuel as much as maybe you should have. Remember that even afterwards you're eating your, the breakfast you had after a 20 mile run should not look like the same breakfast you have after a four mile run. So yeah. like, yeah, I think, yeah. It's so important for people to remember that. So I share this because I want to know, how do you get people to buy into it? Because I feel like, I feel like you have to get people to buy into eating more, which kind of sounds ridiculous when we're talking about runners, right? Where it's like, but you're doing a lot with your body. So how do you get people to buy into the fact that like, they need to eat more or even, yeah, I think I'm just going to leave it at that so that I can hear what your perspective is on that question.
1: For sure. It's it's a combination, really, from a counseling perspective. It's you really have to educate. First of all, I, I work out a lot on the why behind the what. So really, this is why you need to eat the certain way. The science of nutrition as it pertains to athletes. We do so much more than non-athletes just from an activity standpoint. So it just makes perfect sense that you need more fuel to fuel that. And when, when I say fuel, I mean food, you need more food. You need more calories to support all of the activity that we're doing. Cause we're doing a lot day in and day out. It's not just long runs on the weekends. We're doing stuff during the week. We're lifting weights. Or we're doing easy runs. We're doing hill repeats. We're doing cross training. There's a lot that goes into it. And that act, constant activity level creates a constant cell turnover. So I really educate athletes on how that happens and what you need to do to support that cell turnover so that we can become stronger and faster and better runners. That's the key. Once you know the why, the science behind it, it's so much easier to implement different strategies and you know, create a better pre-run meal or um, time your fuel during runs better or plan a recovery meal better, not just after your long run, but reco- you know, pre and post meals during the week too. I think a lot of people think, oh, what should I eat on the run? Because that's, like, that's the best, the most common question I get. What should I eat during my long run? Well, it's not so much that. Let's back it up and say, what should I eat on a consistent basis throughout the whole week to support my weekly training and my long run? It's this bigger picture. And I do know in my experience that when you explain those pieces of the puzzle to runners, a light bulb goes off. And then that's when implementation starts to happen. And that's when your run progresses to, to, uh, new levels.
0: Yeah. And that's, it's it's what you don't know. You don't know, right? Like if you don't know, you don't know, you're going to kind of keep on going with it. It was just, it's, I love that idea of explaining the what behind the why, because, Mm -hmm we see it, I've said it, you know, where it's like fuel, like food is fuel. And it's like, okay, that's great. That's a nice statement. But like, why? (laughs) Like, why is it that we need to shift? And that is a shift. For a lot of people, it is a shift in perspective of seeing your food as fuel and not food as food or food as an indulgence or food as something you earn where it's like, no, here, right, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is something that you're actually using it to fuel yourself and with the people that you work with, do they give you feedback on that? Like, Oh, Hey, this was what I ate. This is how my run went. Like oh, yeah. what's the communication. Yeah.
1: That's what it's all about. I call it like nutritional CSI. Cause we have to go in <laughs> a trial and error. Like we figure out what works, what doesn't work and different things work for different people. So we really kind of experiment, try this this week, try this kind of strategy or plan this week or try this new gel or bar on your long run this week. And let's see how you feel. Cause it all comes down to how your body feels with different fuel. I also love to tell athletes, you know, when we go out for a run, we are producing energy, right? One, one foot in front of the other, that's energy. Food is measured in energy. It's literally calories are a measurement of energy. So if we don't have enough calories, aka energy coming into our bodies, we cannot produce energy. So I have a lot of runners coming to me saying, no, I'm running fasted. So you're going into your run wanting to produce all this energy, but you don't have any energy coming in. And that's why your splits, you're not hitting your splits or you have to um, decrease your pace or whatever the issues are. It's usually nutritionally based.
0: Yeah. I would say as someone who used to run fasted,
1: we um, all did. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So that's what I was going to say. You know, it's also great that, you know, the increase in technology has made a a lot more information available. And Mm. then there's people who like yourself can make very complicated information, really simple. And this is something a few months ago, I forget who I was listening to, but it was a nutritionist. And she just put it so simply. She's like, Carbs is energy, protein is repair. And I'm like, oh, oh, like, (laughs) and I'm like, wait, I knew this, but when she put it that simple, it was very much like, you need the carbs for the energy for the run. Once Mm -hmm. you're done, you need the protein to repair
1: what's been (laughs) broken. Exactly.
0: And it was one of those things where I was like, wow, that was so simple. But yeah. similar, like I used to run fasted, and again I thought something was wrong with me because I, I think it just at, at a certain age you start becoming a hypochondriac or something. I don't know, but you think you're
1: teaching, yes, <laughs>
0: yeah. But I would run
1: fasted,
0: and it was like clockwork around the three mile mark. Oh, the exhaustion, mm. like. Mm -hmm. brain fog, just total exhaustion. Now, there's other issues that can cause that. You know, like for myself, I do have some slight anemia and stuff like that that kind of plays into it. But once I started actually eating something before I ran, that issue completely disappeared. Uh Like, yes, I'll get tired. I'll get tired because I'm like, you know, the monotony sometimes of the runs. But it used to be that again, at that 30 minute, three mile mark, I would just feel like a cloud.
1: A different of, kind of tired, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. I know what all you All on
0: top of me. And it's, again, it's like one of those things where, and I share all this because I want people to know that like, even if you've been running for a long time, stuff happens because your body changes. Mm-hmm. Your body and what you need changes. When I did that, when I used to run fasted in my 20s, oh, I could get away with that. Like I could wake up, roll out of bed and go. But now as someone who's nearing 40, I can't do that anymore. My body's like, no, no lady, like, n- no. Right. So again, I share that just so that people know that like, we're all kind of figuring it out. Yeah. And I love that you call it like nutritional CSI. But then I also love that you, it's almost you invite an element of curiosity into it when you tell people, hey, try this strategy this week. It's Mm not, oh, eat this way this week. But like, hey, here's a strategy. Let's give it a try. Because I feel like in a way that also helps a person detach from food as food,
1: right? if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. It's similar to run coaching. We say, try this pace on your fart licks this week and let's see how you feel doing them. Let's see how your heart rate responds. Let's see if you can hold those paces. Let's see if you can do six in a row. And it's, it's the same thought process. And I I also explain it kind of this way because everyone understands run training, right? Runners anyway. Nutrition is the same thing. Your, your GI tract is made of a series of muscles. It's different kind of muscles, but still we have to train that series of muscles the same way we train our quads and our glutes and our hamstrings. It's just a different way. So if we experiment with different things and we find out what works, we stick with it. If something doesn't work, it doesn't make us feel great. We nix it and we keep we keep moving along. And then ultimately, if you're running for that long, certain things will probably not feel so good after a while. And then we change it again. Yeah.
0: My, my first few marathons, I remember my fueling strategy was a combination of goo energy gels and Mm. the buddy fruits, like little applesauce packets Yeah, yeah. that worked really well for me until it didn't (laughs) it just one day it just stopped working for me. And it wasn't that, I don't know if it it just, it just no longer tasted good. Like that was no longer a combination that I enjoyed while running. And that was definitely a very frustrating point for me because it had been several years of that being my fueling strategy. And then I had to go through this whole period of time of trying different fuels and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't work and what did I like and the consistency. And then even then once I figured out something new, A few months later, it no longer worked. So I think, I love that you bridge the two because I feel like a lot of runners will not understand nutrition
1: unless you
0: give them the parallel to something in running. So you're like, hey, your GI tract, you know those muscles there? It's the same like your body. We're gonna train it. We're gonna try these different strategies because to Ah. me, I hear that. And one, I get excited because I'm like, oh, I can train myself. Whoa, cool. like, yeah, I can do yeah. that. And that training is gonna hopefully lead to me feeling stronger or being faster or any of those things. So it's such a beautiful way that you're merging those two things together in a way that people can get. Because I know for me, sometimes nutrition just seems so um abstract. Like I'll hear what people say I need to eat and then, you know, you get into the macros and the micros and I'm like, wait, what? Like, can't you just yeah. tell me how right. awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and some people like that and some people thrive on that. I think for me, I don't. So I appreciate, I just appreciate how you phrase it because then it gets me excited to learn more because it's not just, oh, I need to have, 60 grams of carbs in my run or any of that. Yes. Like, yes, that stuff is important, but it's kind of even just the curiosity of like, let's try this strategy. So let's not think about the 60 grams of whatever, but let's think about, you know, the two slices of toast and, and Mm -hmm. see how that feels. I love that.
1: Yes. I totally agree with you because once we get stuck in numbers, then we move away from food. And now we're not really thinking of food as anything that's enjoyable or anything that's going to fuel your body. It's just numbers. And that's a fine line, especially for runners or really any athletes, if you think about it and disordered eating, because now there's not a relationship with food. It's all just calculating these percentages. And that's very dysfunctional. And if you flip the script and now focus on food, that's going to make us feel good and run fast and run for many miles and improve your endurance and your cardiovascular health and the long-term picture of health, then it's a different story. And then there's a much better relationship with it and it works better too.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've said this before. I say it all the time. Us runners are very motivated to do the things that are going to help us run, right? Yeah. Like we're, yeah. we're a little, we're, <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, if you tell me that eating a spinach smoothie every day is going to help me get my PR, I'm, I mean, I'm going to try it. Like, huh? I, I went, <laughs> you know, like there was a period of time where I was drinking and my family thought it was so disgusting, but huh? a glass of beet juice every single day because yeah. I read it was really good. And you know, and the anemia <laughs> and iron stuff, and they were like, What? And I'm like, This is I was told, and I saw that it would help me as a runner. And they were like, I, I don't know how you do it. And I remember <laughs> the first few times of drinking it, I would have to pinch my nose. Oh, so my <laughs> it literally <doesn't> <laughs> so
1: tastes like meat. it's very, yeah, it tastes very
0: <laughs> exactly. And then it got to a point where I'm like, Okay, this doesn't taste bad, it's fine. But I, again, I share that because very motivated to be my best, strongest runner self. So if it's, as you said, where you explain the what behind the why, Mm -hmm. I don't drink the beet juice anymore, but at least for a period of time when I was deep in marathon training, maybe I'll start it up again. I was drinking it because I'm like, I'm willing to try to see if it does anything And again, it goes back to that nutritional CIS, C-S-I of that. How would you say your running has evolved over the years?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. Oh, and everyone's running's evolved. Right. So I think that, and I actually recently just turned 50 a couple months ago. So when I look back, cause I've taken some time to look back when you turn 50, you t- tend to do that. <laughs> and I look back, say when I started, and it was all really about learning how to do anything, right. Just how do I increase my fitness? How do I run more miles? How do I get faster? How do I eat better? It was all figuring it out. Right. Then in my thirties, it was really kind of trying to prove um, what I could do. So run more races, run more marathons, get a PR. It was kind of all about performance based measurements. And I would even say that was true. I was also, I also have four kids. So I was also getting pregnant or, or rebounding from a pregnancy and, you know, running with kids in strollers and figuring out where to get my run and training in while I'm trying to be a mom and working, like it was a lot of juggling. So there was like a decade, over a decade of doing that. (laughs) And most of my forties was really kind of taking a step back and saying, I love this and I want to do this forever. So how do I do, how do I manage training and eating and, everything that goes into it in the healthiest way possible so that i can minimize injury risk and um you know avoid anemia or you know all these other things that runners fall into and really taking a step back and enjoying it more and honestly once i started doing that i did get my best times like in my early 40s was really when i peaked and i think it had something to do with that mental shift it wasn't so much about PRs or being obsessed with training it was more about the enjoyment of it and the bigger picture and then my performance was really the best it ever was so that's really the involvement of it right now I'm sitting like post covid right where all these all these races shut down so I really didn't race for a little while and now I'm starting to get my and I've trained through all of it so I never really stopped training mm-hmm. just I so feel that's part of who I am, right it's yep. I would feel like if I didn't get my run-in or my workout in I basically feel like I didn't shower. Cause it's like showering from the inside. Yeah. The yes. Yeah. Um, and of course I take my rest days. So that aside, but now it's just like, where do I want to take this? And um, what do I want to do? That is going to bring me the most joy. And maybe it's not about PRs anymore. Maybe it is. I'm not sure yet, but I just want to keep continuing and being in it and being involved in it and enjoying it at the same time.
0: I love that because it gives me hope. Um, (laughs) It gives (laughs) me so much hope because, (laughs) and I think it's also because I, I think I'm in this transitional space, similar to where you were in your forties. I think maybe I'm just hitting it a little bit earlier where it's when I first started running, it was very much like about figuring it all out. Everything was so new, which is why I, you know, I did a 50K because I just wanted to see if I could do it. And I, you know, I did multiple marathons in a year because I just wanted to see if I could do it. And even within that, I think I probably like melted two of your phases together because a lot of it was, I want to see what I can do. And then there was definitely um, a period of time where it was all about PRs. And it was working hard and like trying to run all the miles and, and balance it all and all this stuff. And then I had for me and people who have listened to this, the podcast for any length of time, or if they know me again, they know the story as well, where it's in 2017, I had a really bad marathon experience and that was a turning point for me because I went into that race. Very much so with like the goals of a PR. Like I went in there wanting that PR so bad. My training, like I felt like it reflected a PR. And then I just did not have a good day. Like I, for reasons so far beyond my control, I just didn't have a good day. I felt awful. I moped about it for about three months. Like I was not a pleasant person to be around. Three months, highly discourage anyone to mope about a race for that long but at that point yeah yeah, because I had put so much emphasis on time and I did not meet that time and on top of not meeting the time so many things went quote-unquote wrong during the race that I was like never again never again am I going to tie my experience to times never again so since 20s 2018, because again, I did Chicago, spent three months moping around. Then I started working with a run coach. And even then I was like, okay, run coach, I want to focus on feeling like, I want to focus on feeling strong. And I would say I have become a stronger runner and definitely a more confident runner. And by confident, I mean more, I believe in myself as a runner regardless of the time that shows up on my watch, on a finish time, it's not to say that I don't still have the goals of getting PRs. So that's why I'm like, I love what you're saying because you're telling me that in your 40s, you had your PR. So that means like, hey, it's still there, but it's more this connection that you have made that I know you're going to make for other people. And it's not even a connection. It's you're literally lighting the way for possibility for other people, including myself of, Hey, when you let go of the time, amazing things can happen. Yeah. And for me, I felt like focusing so much on the time one, it just wasn't good for me mentally, but wow. it also a time. I feel like a time is a good, maybe like signpost. But mm-hmm. sometimes we use times to barricade ourselves in and prevent us from reaching whatever our true potential is.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's a hard mental shift to make, but once you focus on you know, other things like enjoying the process or enjoying the experience of a race and not necessarily that, that time that's on the finish line when you cross, um, it releases the pressure and that's when you can push yourself a little bit further than you think you can.
0: Yeah. And it feels like it's almost in a way, I, I I think a lot about this where I'm like, oh, it almost feels like coming back full circle back to that person who first started running and was just curious, oh, right? So, like, I love that. Yeah. Like that's what I thought of where I'm like, like, oh, I feel like I'm going back to that younger version of myself that just wanted to try and just Mm -hmm. wanted to see, because again, I spent quite a bit of time focused on those times and those PRs and the realization I had, which, you know, it works. This is the realization I had was that once I meet one number goal, I'm not even going to sit and rest in that number goal before I start thinking about the next number goal. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And that can be a dangerous place. to be. It's great because it's motivational. It keeps us going and it keeps us focused. And, it, you know, it it just keeps us pushing ourselves to new levels so that there's nothing wrong with that. I actually love that. But when yeah. it becomes too much of the purpose, then you lose yourself a little bit. And I find that you're not really uh, achieving the goals that you set out to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I again, I hear you and I'm like, okay. So, cause I feel like there are moments and I'm curious to hear if you have these moments with your athletes or these discussions, because there are moments where I feel like an anomaly or like something's wrong with me because I'm not chasing the time goals because I feel like everyone talks about PRs and paces and all that stuff. And I'm like, but I just want to feel good. I want to like have fun. (laughs) I feel like there's something wrong with me because I'm not chasing those very specific measurable metrics.
1: Right, right. That's where the numbers get a little dangerous. Because they do, they were too hyper-focused on them. I feel like you just have to quiet the noise. Like there's nothing worse than going to a race and hearing everybody else's stresses, right? Oh, I I didn't have my coffee this morning. I don't know if I can do this. I'm really nervous. And you're like absorbing all these other comments from all these other people. And then you're not focused on your own race. So it's really important to quiet that noise and just focus on what you really want. And then you'll you'll have a better performance because of it.
0: Yeah, I even try... I feel like after the big races, (laughs) we always, I feel like after any big race, right? You'll hear of the people who like, they got their PRs and the people who did not get their PRs. And then I'm always like, I'm somewhere in the middle of like, I didn't get a PR, but I had a great time, but like the weather sucked. But here, and, and I think it's like, it's just such a great reminder that all of that is noise and ultimately. You did or I did the best that I could with Mm -hmm. what I had on that given day because truly beyond paces and finish times, what we're training is to get to the finish line healthy and injury free.
1: Yeah. yeah. And what's the finish line? There's so many finish lines. There's so many races. That's why we do all these races because there's going to be good ones and bad ones. There's so many ups and downs in our training, but there's ups and downs in our racing too. So, and if it's not for the downs, we really can't appreciate the ups, the good ones. So if you look at the big picture of just like your journey as a runner, instead of one race or one PR or whatever it is, then you're never dissatisfied because it's all just part of the journey.
0: Oh, I love that. Even right now I have this visual of like multiple finish times yeah. along the way. So it's even that it's like, Hey, I mean, I have goosebumps just thinking about that because we do have a tendency to get hyper-focused on one race on mm-hmm. one thing. and like, I'm like, Oh, I have goosebumps now because I'm thinking for myself where I'm running the London marathon in April. And it's like, things where but it's also like like those were words that i needed to hear of like yes i'm doing this marathon and yes it's going to be wonderful but it's just one of many finish lines mm-hmm. and i think even being able to say that comes from what you described for yourself of this place of being in a relationship with running that you want to last forever so when you know you're hooked at this point, when you know you want to spend the next 30 to 50 years still running, that finish line is like a blip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And totally. So you, race and you see somebody in their seventies, eighties, or even nineties that are racing and you see the smile that's on their face. There's not one older runner that I know that's not the happiest person on the planet. And it's because they're still in it. And it's not about PRs for them. Maybe it was at one time. I'm sure for many of them it was, but at some point they, they were at peace with that and that they're just running because they love it and still racing and still healthy and still out there doing it.
0: Yeah. So it's like a good reflection point of how can you bring more peace into running so that you can quiet that outside noise to discover whatever your potential is.
1: Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm. And then maybe your PRs just change. I always think about this too. You know, maybe your PR in your 20s was your PR in your 20s. And then maybe it got better in your 30s and maybe even better in your 40s. And then maybe my PR, this is where I'm struggling with now, PR in my 50s may not compare to my PR in my 40s, but it's still my PR of my 50s.
0: Absolutely. And it's like, or even thinking something like a marathon, right? Most of us are not running multiple marathons in a year. Right. So it's like, OK, well, hey, that's my marathon PR at that particular age. And that should be celebrated, too. And I just again, I love this idea of of having a more global view of what your running is and thinking of these finished times as just like that's just a pinpoint in the timeline of your running and not necessarily the whole definition of your running. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. I love it so much. How would you describe your coaching style and coaching philosophy?
1: Uh, This is a good one because it's probably changed over the years too. um, And probably changed based on just my own experience because we're human and that's what happens. Mm -hmm. But I feel like from a coaching perspective, I really work with each athlete to individualize everything. So I know if I'm working with, you know, a working mom who only has X number of hours in the week, then we need to make sure we get her training in in a specific way so that she can balance everything and not feel overwhelmed. I really don't want running ever to be overwhelming for somebody. I want it to be a part of their life and not something that takes over their life. And I really believe we can fit that into everybody's schedule and everyone's goals if we do that properly. So that's really my biggest philosophy is individualizing every single aspect of training, whether it be, you know, we're, I'm working with someone now who's um, a very busy mom who has um, a lot of athlete youth athletes. So she has to run, you know, maybe around the soccer field 20 times during soccer practice, because that's the only time she can get it in after her, her day job. And then she carts kids to the soccer field. And then that's how she fits it in and just fitting in running wherever she can during the week. And then we're prioritizing the long run on the weekend. She happens to be trained for a marathon. So that's just one example. But, you know, there's other people that need to, that work, that commute into the city. And their only time that they can train is lunch hour. So we have to train, you know, maybe on a treadmill at the office gym. And that's a different set of issues, right? And there's just a different set of, of training variables that are involved in that. So everyone's training plan looks different it's funny, you mentioned earlier about, you know, getting a training plan and following it and maybe mixing and matching. It's so difficult to do that because there's so many different things that happen in someone's life. And what if you get sick? What if your child gets sick and you have to take three days off because you're taking care of them? Um, what if you get a big project at work and you can't get your long run in because you're working overtime and we just have, the plan keeps on changing based on what happens with each athlete. And then to the same note, the plan keeps on changing because say we did an interval run on Tuesday and the intervals were off either. You couldn't hit the intervals or maybe the intervals were too easy and that needs to change. So automatically the workout the next week needs to change based on what just happened that week before. So it's very, um, it's just very flexible. My, my, coaching style. And I always base it based on what's happening with that athlete at that time. And I think that's the best way to go about it. Because if you grab a cookie cutter plan, there is no room for that. It's just get this interval workout in this week, hit these paces, do this long run. But what if that doesn't happen? And then you kind of fall behind the eight ball if certain things don't happen according to that plan. Whereas with a more flexible plan, um, you can hit every mark along the way. It just may not happen you know, at the time you think it's going to happen, but it's going to happen eventually.
0: Yeah. I love that you bring that up. And I like, I was like, Oh, the plan is a, it's a living thing. Like the plan that you make for your athlete is a living thing. So I think back to both myself and even just conversations I've had with people where when they're following a plan that they get off of offline or online, whatever it's, um, they make up the miles, right? So like, if you missed your five mile run on Thursday, then you're going to make your 10 mile long run into a 15 mile long run to have the miles. And it's like, again, like I was there, I did stuff like that. And I always felt (laughs) afterwards. And it's just highlighting the fact that part of what the coach does in this relationship is tailor a plan that lives and breathes with you that evolves with you because it's the same thing when you find these plans online you know you enter your goal time or whatever and then it'll give you these times for your workouts which yeah maybe you can hit them maybe you can't right like and then you end up getting discouraged because this plan that doesn't know anything about you, your life, how you show up, where you're challenged, what's easy for you says that this is what's supposed to happen. Whereas a coach, someone like you, okay, you actually take the time to learn about your athlete, understand their life, what's going on. Okay, hey, did this work? Did this not work? And I find that It's just funny that, that the plan evolves with the athlete, because as you said, it's your running has to fit into your life. Like it's not something that, that is taking over your life. And I think that's where we miss the mark with all these training plans online. And I think, again, it's great. That's a resource for a lot of people, but it's also like you as a run coach are, not only are you creating the plans for people, but you are such a huge resource. Yeah. Yeah. For the people that you work with.
1: Sure. Like- yeah. Another huge thing not that this just reminded me is injury prevention. So, like I said, there's nothing wrong with plans online. In fact, they're they're a good outline to follow, like if you can't mm-hmm. hire a coach. But say something happens where you feel a tweak coming on, or or worse, you got a a worse injury, or maybe your heart rate's spiking and you don't know why. To have someone to bounce those things off that has just the experience and the knowledge to maybe recommend some stretches you need to do before um, a run, if you're feeling a tweak or some different strength exercises, because you may have, you know, an imbalanced knee joint or something like that, or yep. maybe your heart rate spiking because there's just too much in- systemic inflammation going on. So let's, you know, eat, eat this certain way for a couple of weeks while we're training to decrease the inflammation. Like those are things that are going to get you to the finish, to the start line healthier and yeah. uh, to the finish line healthier too, but overall <laughs> you a better runner. And those are things that like a cookie cutter plan can't do. So it's just that human, human contact. There's nothing, there's no substitute for that. No,
0: I mean, there isn't. So if someone is interested in working with you, how do they go about that? Are they emailing you? Are they, my favorite is everyone's like, oh, they, they slide up in my DMs. How are people reaching out <laughs> to you for run coaching?
1: That's honestly, I'm going to hop on that bandwagon. That's probably the easiest It's <laughs> just to uh, DM me on Instagram and it's um, Jen Giles, eat for sport is my Instagram handle. That's the easiest, but you can also go to my website, which is Jen Giles, rd. Dot com.
0: <laughs> the DMs. I love it. That's um,
1: <laughs> in <them> the DMs.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's everyone. Like, you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> do you usually have a consultation with people to kind of talk about what their goals are? How do you determine? And I guess I asked that because I'm just curious how do you determine whether someone is a good fit for you and whether you're a good fit for them as a coach?
1: Oh, great question. Yeah, I do. I chat with the athlete first and we have a discussion just based on what their, not only their goals are, but what their expectations are. And then we, during that conversation, decide if it is a good fit based on what they want to achieve.
0: And your training plans, do you usually give them, it's like everyone I speak to has a different approach to it, which is so great. Is it, you know, week by week? Is it two weeks? Is it a month? Is it an entire training cycle? I know you said that the plan evolves, but how do you communicate that plan to your athletes?
1: I usually do it week by week, unless there's an athlete that's going to say, be traveling for a month overseas or something. And then I can plan a month out. But even that, even in those situations, I still tweak things week by week based on the feedback from each week. So, um, and in different, different circumstances, I can do different things, but typically it's week by week. Cause I think that's the most effective way is to get the immediate feedback and then plan accordingly.
0: Yeah. How do you handle, this is like, this is my favorite question to ask. How do you handle difficult conversations with your athletes? So, mm-hmm. uh, an example I get, or an example I've given, it's like, you know, you have an athlete who. Let's say is constantly running faster than the prescribed workout,
1: mm. or
0: they're, yeah, but we'll go with that one because I feel like that's a really common one of people either running really well, you know, the the two of those, right? Running way faster than what they need to be running or should be running in their workouts or on like an easy run when you tell them, Hey, just chill. So how do you address those? Or how do you have that conversation with your athlete?
1: I'm pretty honest and upfront, to be honest. So if I see someone's paces are a little fast and, and that is one of the most common things. And I think we're all guilty of that, right? We go out and we feel really good. So we don't want to run two minutes slower than our race time. We, we want to push it but again, it comes back to education. So I'll sit down and say, okay, this run was run, you know, at race pace when it was supposed to be super easy and your heart rate was really high because of it. So it's going to take us two or three days to recover from that, which is going to push back your long run, blah, 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 whatever the plan is. And, um, once they understand that, cause I feel like runners just don't grasp that. But if you, if you take a step back and understand why I'm telling you to run so slow on your easy days, and then, again, that light bulb goes off, and they're like, "Oh, it's gonna make me better at the end of the day." and And they're like, "Okay, I'll do it." But you just don't know? Like you said, you don't know what you don't know, but once you know it, then you can put it into action because you understand the reason behind it,
0: yeah, And I feel like even that is just hearing what you said. It's like we you kind of have to reverse engineer it. Um, mm-hmm. hey, you're running so fast today that you're not gonna be recovered and feel good for that harder effort that's supposed to be hard. You're gonna, you might feel like trash on your long run because you didn't take it chill enough. So it's like this, like kind of like reversing it so that they can see it and connecting those dots. Because again, like I'm very guilty of this where there have been days where I'm like, the weather is beautiful. And I'm like, oh, I have a little more step. And then I finish and I'm like, oh, but my heart says otherwise like that. And yeah, I mean, I, I do end up feeling it later. And it's like one of those, it's just such a hard thing. Cause sometimes as runners, we really do get caught up in the feeling, but then I have to remind myself that running easy feels really good too, yeah. but in a different way,
1: different way. Yep. Yeah. And when runners grasp that, it's kind of magical because once they understand the physiology of what's going on, then they'll do it because it is going to make them feel good and it's going to reduce their risk of injury and it's going to make them perform faster at the end of the day. So I really do think once they understand that they're okay with that. I just had a conversation last week with one of my runners about precisely that, because he was running kind of in that gray zone, not, you know, not, you know too fast, but not too slow in that gray zone. And I'm like, this isn't, you're not going to progress here. So we need to slow it down on your easy runs. And then just this week, he had an interval run that he nailed. So he was so thrilled and he's only really been pulling back on his easy run pieces for like two weeks, let's say. So it works. The second it works, they go, oh, that's why you told me to do that. And then, then, then you're fine. So it's a difficult conversation to have because you know, they're not listening to you, but it's really just because they don't understand. And so when you back up and say, this is why, then it's really not that it's a difficult conversation to have.
0: Yeah. And ultimately, you know, as we've talked about, runners want to get better. So if Mm -hmm. they understand the why behind it, yes, there may be difficulty adjusting to it, but once you start to see the pieces click together, then it's like, okay, there's more buy-in, right? Like once you start to see it. All right. The final question that I have is how can we make running more accessible? And lately I've been adding as well, more inclusive.
1: Mm, I love this question too. So I feel like running in general is pretty accessible. All you need is a pair of shoes, you know, like it's not like a sport where you need all this equipment and you need ice time. If you're a hockey player or a private coach, if you're, you know, want to play D1 soccer or whatever, like it's it's pretty easy. You go outside, you can run on the streets. The problem is, depending on where you live, it, it could be a little bit more difficult. So <clears throat> there you could live in a city where maybe it's not as safe to run on the city streets. You could live. Um, I live in a very difficult area to run because it's very windy, narrow roads and there's cars that go, you know, like, so you have to find, you actually just have to educate yourself on where it is safe to run. But I also think as runners and run coaches and people who just love this sport, collaborating and making run groups or, um, you know, different types of races, safer trails with more lights on them. Um, I'm a big fan of sidewalks. I know that's a bigger project (laughs) to to, uh, dive into, but sidewalks, you know, especially in, in places where it's not safe to run on the roads or even just rail trails, but finding those things, spreading that information to people who don't know about it. A lot of people just don't know. We have rail trails in our area. A lot of people don't know where they are or don't know where to park for them. So just as people who love this sport, just spreading that information and awareness and making sure that everybody knows where they are and then just to make it more inclusive like if you know somebody likes to run ask them to go for a run it doesn't really need you don't need to be the same pace you can do it on your easy day if it's someone that's slower than you they can do they can slow down if it's someone that's faster than you it's really more of a social as much as we want to train and sometimes we have to do that by ourselves and that's a great way to train mentally too it's also such a social sport and can be so fun and you can meet some of the best people on the planet. If you open yourself up to running with groups and organizations or doing fun events with other runners also.
0: Yeah. And I think I love that particular thing because, and I think about this often with myself where I've gone to certain run clubs and certain groups because I want to make friends. I love runners. I think they're the best people. And no one slows down for me. Cause I consider myself totally like a middle of the pack runner. Like I'm just, and again, I'm also in this phase of like, I just want to have fun. And for me, having fun means I'm, I'm definitely like a slow twitch muscle person because for me, having fun is like, let's just chill and then like run for two hours. Yeah. Like hey. let's just chill and talk. Exactly. Yeah. And th- those particular run groups are ones that I don't return to. Cause I'm like, man, you can like, you could take one run. I know your training is important, but like you could take one run to slow down just a little bit where either you match my pace or I actually put in the effort to run faster. Like we can either meet each other in the middle. And so I love that because I think that is definitely a really, really important thing to highlight and pinpoint because there are a lot of people who they'll say oh i want to go i want to run or i want to go to this but i'm too slow and yeah. i was tell people, i'm like it's okay like i'll slow down for you like it's it's yeah. fine i am again maybe it's like a confidence thing or maybe it's just understanding where i am in the training cycle of things where it's like i can quote unquote sacrifice this run to be with you like it's fine right like and especially i feel like with a lot of social runs, they're usually like 5k runs, right? They're not necessarily like a long distance type of thing. So I love that you bring that up because if anyone's listening to this and they're in Miami and they want a running partner and they just want to cruise and chill, hit me up. I'm your girl. Because I think it, it is, community is such an important part of making running more accessible and making running feel more inclusive. But that, and it kind of connects to something you said where when I was listening to you talk, I'm like, oh yes, our, us runners are advocates for the sport, right? Yeah. Like we are advocates and ambassadors for the sport. So That's if it. we want this community to grow, we also, the people who are already in the community, have to put themselves out of their own comfort zones to bring more people into the community. And sometimes that does mean you're the one that's going to slow down for a little bit so that someone new to the sport can feel welcome and like they
1: belong. Yeah, 100%. And the people that don't slow down, they're just not your people.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I learned that. And there was like Uh a few run clubs where I went to a few times and I'm like, all right, like they'll say hi in the beginning and then they take off and I'm like, Okay, but I'm like by myself, no, like I you know, and and yeah. part of it is just me because I go to these events hoping to make a friend. like <laughs> that's just me. It's
1: so and I thought that that's so important because and and it's like you're putting yourself out there and it just doesn't work three three out of the ten times that you do it, you know, but it will work and you'll find people that are either willing to slow down or speed up or whatever. and those are the people that you're eventually going to connect with the most. and that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah. And I, again, like very important to highlight that three out of 10 times, it may not work, but those three times that it does pivotal moments, like the, the, those three moments that it does are going to change your life. I can guarantee that. Because runners are
1: the best Um, people and you have the best conversations on a run. And we always laugh, like whatever said on the run stays on the run.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) There's nothing like running with someone in the dark where they're next to you. You can't really see their faces. Uh that creates automatic intimacy. And it's like, we're telling each other secrets. And then the okay. sun comes up and you're like, so what we said did not happen. It goes into the runner vault. It's done.
1: Conversation never <laughs> <happens>. <laughs> All
0: right. Last thing is just tell us where we can connect with you. I know you shared your website and your Instagram, but if you can share that again with us so that we really remember it. And also if you have anything fun or any offerings coming up that we should know about.
1: Yeah, cool. So Instagram is probably the best place to find me. Jen Giles eat for sport and Jen has two ends. or you could head to my website, which is jengilesrd.com. Those are two of the best places to find me. And um, I also, if you're okay with it, have a free download if anybody wants it and I can give you the link for it. And it's just oh, yeah. simple snack ideas for athletes. Oh so yeah. Ten-
0: Send that to me and I'll share it on the show notes on the YouTube video notes. And when I blast this on the social media, definitely share that with me because if you haven't gotten anything else from this particular discussion, it's the importance of education and uh-huh. in educating yourself and in learning how to be a better runner. Like the, I feel like That's what I'm taking away from here with everything you've said. It's like, oh, education, just knowing and Mm -hmm. understanding that can be the difference between feeling like crap on your run to feeling like you're flying
1: on your run. Yep, 100%. that's what it's all about.
0: I love it. Well, Jen, thank you so much for chatting with me today and for being on the runner's round table. Everyone, we'll see you again real soon. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.
0: So fun. Bye. There's so much to love about this conversation with Jennifer, but I especially loved her approach to nutrition because I felt like I really got the importance of training your digestive system just like you train your body to run. Truthfully, Nutritional CSI is going to be my new favorite concept to explore. I also loved how important education is to Jennifer because there's always something new to learn and room to grow. We are humans who are constantly changing, shifting, and evolving. And our approach to running should move alongside all those changes. Thank you, Jennifer, for encouraging us to understand the why behind the what. For more on Jennifer, follow her on Instagram at JenGilesEatforSports and check out her website, jengilesrd.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at thecookierunner, check out my website at thecookierunner.net and support season two of the podcast over at anchor.fm slash runners roundtable. Until next time, run happy, run strong and run true to you.